So today we are very lucky once again to be joined in the Spiritual Trady Lounge Room by Jake Brook. How you going? If I said that correctly. That, yeah, we're good. We're My good. accent didn't, didn't make a mess of it. You have an accent? Where are you from? And we've got co-host, special <laughs> co-host for one limited time only. Lauren Howard Tripp is back to co-host. Hello, everyone. Oh. Uh, I work in construction. Yeah. Um, I've been in construction for about 13 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, my second career has been in um, AOD and drug help. So mm-hmm. addiction um, addiction treatment and drug and alcohol support. Um through my own experience, I've kind of found a love for trying to get people to, um, I guess, find some awareness within themselves and find out like why it is that they have been drawn to drugs or drawn to addiction in one form or another. Okay, so you want to go back and tell us about your experience with drugs? Yeah, sure. Um, so like I was, the way I like to kind of look at it is like growing up, think that I was kind of like overly sensitive or like I had like heightened, heightened emotions. Um, I found that like I was quite easily offended and, um, and I seemed to like respond to things like most of the time in a reactive way. It wasn't, it wasn't in a comfortable way. Like I, I wasn't the kind of person that would be able to weigh up a situation and, and then respond to something like I would react to things. And, um, and in an early age, like I think I was about 13 or 14, like I started taking drugs. Like for me at the start, it was like it was taking like smoking weed. Um, I grew out of that pretty quickly and kind of escalated through. But, um, but what I found when I started taking drugs is, um, for one, like I started to feel more comfortable in my skin. And secondly, I stopped worrying about what you were thinking about me. So I was able to make decisions, I guess maybe not in, in such a good moral sense, but I was able to make decisions less worried about what the outcomes were and how people were going to be affected by them. Um, so I don't think it w- in any way it was a good thing, but what it did was it actually um, in some ways saved me from myself. Um, and I guess that kind of opened up like a massive journey for me to start learning um, about what not to do in life more than anything else. And um, I like to look at it as if like my, my life up until I was 22 was all about kind of like people would always draw the line as to like, oh, you, you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't be a part of that or like you shouldn't be around those people. And, and I'd always look at it and go, yeah, but why? And, and if people didn't give me a straight answer as to why, like I'd go and find out why. And so like people say like you drew that line in the sand and you weren't ever to stand over it. Like I stepped over it and I lived there for a while. And um, I find that as much as there was a lot of stuff in my life that, um, you know, goes against the way that I choose to live today, um, I, I live the way I do today because I went through that stuff. Mm. Do you want to talk, tell us about how, like, the sort of the depth you got, you got yourself into there? Um, so at the end of my using, um, like I was using every day, and, um, and if I didn't kind of use within the first hour of waking up, um, like I was going back to bed, you know, like I actually had no drive for life without using. Um, like I didn't have a cent to my name. I was in a shitload of debt. Um, I was living on a couch, like on someone's couch, and um, and I was pretty much on a daily basis doing crime to pay for my debt, like pay for my, my drug addiction and my debts. Um, you know, I was in and out of lockups, spent some time in remand, and um, and it's and it's funny enough that like through all of that stuff, the one thing that made me like start to look at changing my ways was a lack of connection. So it wasn't. Um, 
not being willing to do what it took anymore. It wasn't because I didn't like drugs anymore. It wasn't because I couldn't stand living in that environment anymore. It was the fact that all of those things together meant that like there was no one in my life that I had any true connection to. And um, like I pushed my family away. I pushed all my close friends away because like as much as like I was doing things that were immoral and I wasn't happy with my life, like I didn't want to bring other people into that. So, um, so with that lack of connection, it made me want it. That's what I wanted out of life. Mm. And, um, and yeah, so I kind of went on a journey to reconnect, I guess. Mm. Tell us about that, that journey. I guess like the fur- the start of that experience would have been um, like I, I reconnected with family and I and I headed home and and I spent two weeks in a in an outpatient program where I met um, my bu- business partner today who's part of my recovery service. I met him and um, and I heard my story. I heard someone that had been through like trauma and pain and. Um, and like someone that had masked their emotions through using drugs for a long period of time, like he'd, he'd used a lot longer than my, what I had. Like my, my severe drug history like spanned five years, even though I had used for nearly 10, um, it had spanned five where he'd spent over 20. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and hearing his story and hearing someone that had kind of gone through that stuff, um, it allowed me to realise that like if he could do it, so could I. Um, and for the first time in a long time, because I'd been around a lot of people that would tell you exactly what you wanted to hear, it was all smoke and mirrors, nothing was real. The first time I actually heard someone that I felt was actually being sincere and honest with me, someone that was being their true self. Mm. And, um, and it's something that like I was like, you know, I was just wowed by, like someone like putting their life like out on the table and being like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed of it. This is who I am. This is who I am. If you if you like me, great. If you don't, then like that's your choice to make. You don't have to like me. Mm. And um, and then like through uh, well, we call it fellowship. Through fellowship, then I learned. I um, I met a lot of other people that were that same way inclined, and I was um, I was connected in with with what I know now as spiritual principles or living living life based on spiritual principles. So being kind, being tolerant, being patient, being understanding, being loving, being selfless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, like kind of by going through and starting to live life that way, I started to energetically start to bring people into my life that were that way inclined, not through fellowship, but through spiritual practices and, and those kind of things. What did what, you get into spiritual practice wise? <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, like it's, um, it's been, I guess, base level meditation. Like I, like I do kind of mindfulness med- meditation um, and yoga is a big part of my life as well. Mm. Um, but then also like connecting with nature as well is a big thing for me. Like I spend a lot of time like in nature and, and kind of draw a lot of energy from that. But I guess there's like another part of it, which is also just like people watching and connecting with people and being able to kind of draw like spiritual energy from seeing how people just like being in, the, in their true selves and like kind of like working their way through life, whether it be through struggles or through positive, positive things. Being able to just observe that and see and see that stuff is just amazing and it makes mm. me grow as well. Yeah. Can we? Can I just ask a quick question? Yeah. You said that your experience had really set everything up for you to live the life that you live today. Can you explain or elaborate a little bit about what exactly it taught you? In the life that I used to live in, fear was something that I believe was physical and real. Like it was something that was like based on living life against like a moral compass or living life in a light where it isn't followed by spiritual principles, there's a possibility that your life can be in danger, that your life you know, can be affected by other people. Um, and like it is a possibility in my life today, but the, but the actual chance of that is, is a lot slimmer. 
But what I was able to do is navigate my way through that life into this one. And being able to do that has meant that like my level of fear towards that stuff or like being able to live the life that I live now, like my fear levels are a lot lower. Um, and my ability to be driven and push myself towards goals or try to achieve things, um, I believe is quite, is a lot higher, you know, because I've gone through that stuff because like I've kind of crossed those lines that people have told you not to, that I've kind of done the things that people have kind of suggested not to, that now like I know, like I don't want to, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go to that point. I don't want to do that stuff again. But what I do know is like where those lines are, like I've kind of got like a really good kind of, I guess like a... You've mapped the course. I've mapped the... Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> I, I know... I know where I stand mm. um, and I know the risks that I'm willing to take and the ones that I'm not. And I have mm. a pretty good feel for that. Mm. Yeah. It's so good too that you point out that you sort of identified the illusion of fear. Yeah. That the fear isn't, isn't reality. It's, it's a construct in your own mind. False evidence yeah. appearing real. That's it. Oh. Yeah. So do you want to tell us, um, is, is that all? That's good for now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to tell us about... Um... I'll tell you a bit about kind of like, so my process of, so like I call myself, like I'm an, I'm an addict in recovery. I've been, I've, I was a drug addict and now I'm in recovery. Recovery is something that's ongoing and never ends. Um, it's something that's constantly growing and changing um, and it adapts as you adapt. So um, I think like the next thing I'd like to probably tell you about is kind of like, like how that stuff sort of works for me. Um, so there's like, there's a powerlessness admission that I make to my, try to make to myself every day. It's not something that I can, that I, that I do every day, but it's something that I hope to do every day is admit my powerlessness to life mm-hmm. and everything else around me. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. the only thing that I have any sort of empowerment over is the decisions or the, the actions that I choose to take mm-hmm. uh, or the things like inside my head. So my thinking, which again is not of my own, mm-hmm. but my thinking, what I choose to take on and respond or act with. Mm. Um, and then like the rest of the process is about like being of service, um, like being able to accept help, being willing to try new things, being able to kind of identify like what's in myself that is fear, mm-hmm. what's real, what's not, mm. whether my actions are understandable or not. Um, being able to be honest and be humbled, like being able to kind of deal with, deal with people and accept people and also like um, apologize when when needed. Yeah. Like not just when you feel like it, but when it's necessary. Because mm. I find a lot of people like, oh no, 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 like you know, and try and make every excuse under the sun. Like it's serving no one. Mm. Like being able to do that stuff, and then also being able to kind of go through and continue to teach other people that same thing, or kind of take people through that journey. Mm. And that's sort of the recovery process in a really small nutshell. But like at that that itself has created a framework for me to live my life around. Mm. Like. I believe that um, all religions, spiritual practices, like all that stuff has its place. I don't think that like anyone is better than the other. I just think that people choose the one that fits them mm-hmm. or it, whichever one finds them yep. and allow that to like be your kind of sounding board for life, mm-hmm. you know, because like I think when we have no structure in our life, like we're always missing something. Like mm-hmm. we're kind of, we've got that void inside ourselves that needs answers mm-hmm. and we need something that gives us Some answers. kind of structure, yeah. Some sort of structure. I don't think, mm-hmm. and, it, and it doesn't matter where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Like as long as it's like kind and loving and it comes from like a, like a good place, mm-hmm. 
and um, and that's what it, that's what it gives me. I think that's the test to find out if your structure is any good as well. If you run it up against that test, is my structure kind? Is it loving? And where it's not kind and not loving, yeah. then I need to start questioning how I can change that structure. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. So um, also, uh, you say let's say you're having a shit week. Yeah. And you start getting you feeling a bit red. Yeah. You have a protocol that you that you switch into, like connect, reaching out to people or something that you work through to make sure that you don't you're not triggered into bad behaviours, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't let it get to a week. That's the mm-hmm. first yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the first thing. If I have a bad day, like, you know, like I have a mentor, like so I have a guy that um you know, I've actually had a few in in my life and I've got different mentors for different things as well. But my main my main mentor, which we call a sponsor, um, like I've I've known him for six years mm-hmm. um, and and so like he'll know about it within the day, mm. you know, and his, his response to what's going on for me is not advice. It's based on what he knows of me. So he's not giving, he's not picking up a book. He's not picking up a book and then like reading out what the diagnosis is. Yeah. He understands me. He understands like what I'm fearful of, what like you know what's caused me harm in the past, like why I've responded in certain ways, like what harm I've caused on other people, like all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he gives me responses based on that and based on what is kind and loving. So, like for instance, I'll give you I'll give you a um, an example. So, like a, a week ago, I was having trouble. Uh, like I live I live in St Kilda, mm-hmm. and. Um, and there was a guy, like a homeless guy, that's been like kind of like loitering around outside our house, and um, and it's been scary. Like I live with two girls. I live like live with my roommate, and and my partner stays there quite a bit as well. And um, and I was quite fearful of like of their lives, whether they're going to be harmed or not. Um, and also, also like you know, for me, like it brings back those memories of like where I've kind of been from in the past. And my response to that is to like I need to push him out of my life. I, he needs to go. Like he needs to go, he needs to be out of my life. I don't care how, mm. he just needs to be gone. And and I spoke to I spoke to my mentor about that, and I, and I said like this is what's going on. Like you know I'm I'm really fearful. Like my my girlfriend went outside at three o'clock in the morning, and this guy's like this guy's there, and and he's making it really hard for our lives. He goes, have you spoken to him? Mm. And I'm like, well I said hi, but like it was really just to kind of like you know get his attention so I could move him on. Mm. He goes like what's going on for him? Yeah. Has he got a mental health plan? Mm-hmm. You say he's homeless. Every homeless person still has a story. Like what's like what's his story? Mm. Like and I'm like, oh well, he's kind of talking some kind of crazy stuff about like this, that, and the other. And he goes, yeah, well, like that's probably true for him at the moment. You don't know what's going on for him. So you you know, like if you yell at him, then like his response is going to be negative. Mm. If you talk to him, I'm sure you can kind of get some sort of sense. Even mm. if he's not, like if he's in psychosis or if he's not kind of like in a mental place right now, you can be calm with someone and get more response out of someone if you're on their level mm. than what you are if you're yelling at someone. And so in that moment, I then I took the emphasis off myself. I stopped being selfish. Mm. I started to look at something from someone else's perspective and took away the fear that didn't exist. Mm. So this person, yes, quite possibly could have caused harm if he was aggravated, but from what I'd seen so far, there was no evidence to prove that. Mm. But I'd all of a sudden made an assumption based on who this person was and what they were capable of without even speaking to that person. Mm. And so my, my mentor allows me to be able to make those decisions and be able to act on that in a way that fits my spiritual principles and not based on my fear. Shift your perspective a bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, how did you go from where you were to recovering and then helping others? What made you make that leap? 
Um, I guess like what I said earlier, it was um, what got me into a place where I was willing to kind of get help in the first place was, I guess, um, the identification that like I needed help, that there was a serious problem and I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to close it off on my own. I've had like, you know, up to that point, I'd had a couple of occasions where I'd been able to get clean for a week or so, but like it was fleeting. And then like the thing inside my head, because like what I need to remember is that like my thinking is the thing that makes me use. Mm. It's not my need to use. Mm. It's the fact that my thinking is messed up and my, you know, perception on how life is, is messed up. Mm. So if I like, if I focus on that stuff, then I use, but, um, I actually went through a process and this is probably a little bit um, hard to hear for some people, but I went through a process which is like sleep paralysis where like when I was kind of um, at the point of probably overdosing um, for the last couple of months and I'd actually wake up and like I'd be able to see and breathe but I couldn't move. Um, and I reckon that was some sort of intervention of some sort. Like this is just my belief. But mm-hmm. I think it was something like was telling me like you need to just be here and you need to realise like what your life is mm-hmm. and, and what's going on for you and, and create some change. And like and I, and I had that happen to me for nearly two months mm-hmm. and it took me two months to stop using. Mm-hmm. Like I woke up to that every morning and the power of the addiction or the feeling inside me that made me want to use, even after having that and having that awareness, I still used mm-hmm. every day. Do you still have that paralysis these days? No, no, no. no. So like no. when I stopped using and I moved home, I've lost it. It went. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Served its purpose. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But um, so yeah, like so like I had that kind of awareness and then like through that, like after a lot of pain and, and it wasn't an easy thing for me to get out of to stop using, but I got to a point where I was able to um, to get help and then I had to get to the point where I was willing to receive help mm-hmm. and then I had to accept it. Mm. Yeah. 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 So I was able to receive it and then I actually had to accept it and take it on because that's the hard bit. You know, like we can say that we're willing to do anything, but like if we're willing to do anything, first I've got to listen. First I've got to be willing to kind of like look at it and then I've got to accept it and take it on and start using it. Mm. And like that process is a hard one, Mm. you know, and that took me probably a couple of years of recovery to really get to the point where I was like, okay, like I'm starting to kind of like go from learning something to like seeing it in my daily life and then using it as a practice, mm. you know, and that, that took time. And now, so, you know, six years from then, um, so now like my life's a lot different and like I kind of have like a, I don't know, like a regiment or like a kind of standard practice that I use, mm. um, which kind of just like it's, it flows in my life. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, yeah, from I guess like learning that stuff, starting to implement it, and then being like, this is amazing. Mm. I want other people to get this too. And then being like putting my hand up and starting helping other people. Mm. Um, and then I guess going from that step to then, you know, opening the recovery process, like the re- recovery program we've got and, um, and starting to do it on a different level. Do you want to run us through that? What that is? Yeah. Okay. So it's a. What's it called? Addiction Solutions Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um and this is you and your partner that run this? So there's a board. Okay, so there's a board of us. We're, we're a not-for-profit. Um, and we did that for a reason as well. Like there's a lot of reasons why it was kind of structured the way it was. Um, my, my business partner or the two of us that originally started it, um, he was my mentor. He was the first guy that I met that was in recovery. The first recovering addict that I ever met is now someone that I run a business with, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he'd had a lot of experience in privates and public um, rehabilitation services. Um, and I've also done like, you know, my batch of volunteer work and, and talking in detoxes and rehabs and seen kind of like what happens to people before and after services and, and finding that there's these these kind of gaps, there's these gaps for people and mainly for people that can't afford private treatment. So there's, if you can't afford to spend $10,000 for a month, <clears throat> pretty much your ability to get help, cut it in half, mm. you know, and then if you're not willing to wait, like cut it in half again, mm. you know, and like, you know, by the time you get to the point where you're like, you need a service now, I have no money, like you might be able to get into a seven-day detox mm. and then what? Then you've got nothing else. Mm. So what we wanted to do was to provide a service that then like was able to support people in between. And what we found is that like our service has been um, successful enough that most of them haven't even been going to rehabs. We've just been putting them into fellowship. So they've mm. been kind of doing our 30-day program or six-week program and then going on and just doing like an outpatient and like getting back into life. Beautiful. Which has been really cool. Mm. Um, but what we found is that like the, the kind of the connection point for us is like what we're doing right now, we're sitting in your lounge room, like you guys, you guys were comfortable as soon as we sat down. So like being able to kind of sit in someone's lounge room and talk to them, the barriers are already down mm. and you can get straight into talking to someone. If you put them into a clinical rehab or into a facility, like the walls are up, like they're like a caged animal, they don't know where they are, they don't know you, like, you know, they don't know, yeah. like, like what's going on or what they're up for. Mm. Like, if you can kind of take most of that away and leave them in their secure environment, like, then you can kind of start from day one, mm. you know. Um, mm. Plus, I also believe that, like, every service, like, has a purpose. Like, and I think, like, for a lot of people, living is good. But for me, like, I didn't do a living program. Like, I was able to kind of stay in life and I find that like you can be too secure um, at times so like if you're going through treatment and you're in a facility and you're locked away from life you're locked away from society then you're not having to make all those decisions on a daily basis Mm. that like in the past would have made you use so if you can take like a little bit of knowledge just like a little snippet of knowledge to start off with and then like you know find some sort of relationship with someone where you feel safe enough to call them and then go all right we're going to put you out into reality and then like we're just going to check in every day mm. and see how we go and you're going to tell us like what triggered you what made you uncomfortable what pissed you off what upset you what made you happy like all of that kind of stuff and then we're going to relate that back to a program and we're going to see how we can make that simplified enough that you can live it every day mm. you know and and so being able to do that we then started to be able to create a model where people could pretty much take like a small micro model and then move through into a recovery model and then learn everything that I have over the last 6 years mm. so give them something small to start with and then allow them to kind of adapt and create like their own kind of understanding of it. Mm. Yeah. Super cool. And that, that's, you go out to each individual, the, the houses for I don't, individuals? I don't personally. Mm-hmm. So like, so my, my position with the business now is sort of like a development manager. I was going to say, cause you work full time as well. So I work full time. Yeah. Um, but also I'm not qualified in that industry. So mm-hmm. my, my ability to be a part of that business is the fact that like, I kind of understand what I think people need. Mm-hmm. And along with the rest of the board, which consists of, um, three mothers of, of addicts, which run family support programs and two addicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another uh, female act, which is my um, partner's my partner's partner, my partner's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so between all of us, we make decisions based on 
like a consensus idea of how addicts would like to or need to recover. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So it's not you know it's not an administrative. This is what you know. No. It's it's more like personalised from people that have had the experience. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And what are the more prevalent types of addictions that you tend to see or deal with? Uh, the critical ones, I guess, like as we're in Melbourne, obviously, but like one of the biggest ones is alcohol is always going to be a big one. Um, and then, you know, ice, heroin, um, are your three key ones. Like they're your kind of like drugs of dependence more than anything else. And you've also got like your prescription drugs as well. Uh, and then you've obviously got like your party drugs and um, like GBH and, and all that kind of stuff, which kind of like connect in together. But you'll find there'll always be that kind of that that stick in the mud, that that one thing that like is the dependent one. Mm-hmm. And then there's like everything else that kind of fits in around it, mm-hmm. you know, or fills the voids where they can't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so for the young people, like obviously people hear about an ice epidemic, like. Uh, yeah, like there's just there's a shitload of people that use ice, and like for me, like a lot of the older guys in recovery that I met, like that were heroin users, like they had like a using span of like twenty years, mm. where like I cooked myself in four, mm. like four or five years of using ice. Mm. You know, like it just you get to that point a lot quicker. Yeah, fast forward. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Um, so yeah, look, I don't think like, and it doesn't discriminate. Addiction is addiction, whether it be whether it be food, whether it be gambling, whether it be shopping, whether it be work, whether it be sex, whether it be relationships, whether it be drugs, like whatever it is, like it's all the same thing, an inability to deal with life on life's terms or an inability to deal with life as it is. Mm. You're trying to separate yourself or trying to draw something in to fill a void where you don't feel the Mm. way you think that you should feel. Yeah. There's that connection aspect as well. Yeah. Like you said that you were missing as well. Yeah. So like those two main things I reckon are like connection and love, like Mm. loving connection. Yeah. You know, like when we kind of, we feel that part of ourselves, like everything else falls in behind it. Mm. There's no need for other, another thing. Yeah. 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 Because everything else, like when we feel loved and we feel connected, like we feel safe, we feel secure, Mm. you know, like we feel spiritually fed, Mm. you know, and, and like we feel more comfortable in our own skin um, like all that stuff, mm. you know, so then we can grow from that space, but yeah. there's two parts of it. Like we have to be willing to give love for one. So we need to be able to be seen giving love mm. and we need to be able to receive love and be seen receiving love. Mm. So it's like knowing that like, it's like, there's nothing wrong with giving or receiving love and it doesn't make you weak. doesn't make you less than, doesn't make you worthless, like to accept that. Or to accept help, which is also comes in line with love. Yeah. You know? Mm. But people find it hard to, like, allow that in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And we forget that love is our greatest, or the fear of being unloved is our greatest fear as as a, as humanity. We start out as babies, and if we're not loved, then we're abandoned. Little yeah. Kids are a lot of work. So, um that fear is instilled in us early on. Yeah. So fear of being alone or people like, you know, what you probably hear in your head or like, you know, like being alone is just an extension of a feeling of not being loved. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, we just give it a different title. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to tell that person that they um, upset me because I don't want them to not like me anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be unloved. So he said, I won't be honest with that person. Mm-hmm. You know, like how many times we make decisions, oh, like I won't, I won't tell that guy that like, you know, his button's undone on his, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but like the amount of decisions that we, we make based on like. What we think someone else thinks about us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. And that the gift that 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 actual honesty can bring as well to a to a relationship, and I think once you get past that fear of what the other person's going to think, when you are actually honest, people appreciate that much much more. You know, yeah, and staying mm. in your integrity, like realizing that, like on the other side of it, like people, like you know, your relationships in your life, people aren't always going to respond or react to you the way that you want them to, mm. and you don't have to accept everything that someone throws at you. Mm-hmm. Not everything that someone throws at you is yours to take on. Mm-hmm. And being able to stand in your integrity and know what's yours and what's not. Mm-hmm. So like someone saying, you're a bad friend. You didn't call me every day this week. <laughs> you didn't do this. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, like, is that a realistic expectation? Mm-hmm. Like, is that something that's fair? Mm-hmm. Is that mine? Yeah. Or is that the fact that this person like needs more? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's something that like you can either choose to accept or deny. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of want to change the subject more to love because earlier in the kitchen we were having a conversation about finding partners and (laughs) Tinder and the energy (laughs) that you're putting out there and it was pretty interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, You can start because I don't remember what I was saying. Well, (laughs) you were, I asked you how you met your current partner. Yeah. Which you responded with. Oh yeah, yeah, cuz I met my I met my current partner on Tinder. And I was really surprised. Yeah. Because I've not had the best luck on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently there's hope. Yeah. Well, like I okay, now I'm with you Lauren. Like so um like personally I think that not just on like we'll call it sexual relationships or like sexual partners, like what we put out into the world, like what sort of energy is what we attract back. So, like, my belief is, like, if I'm down in the dumps and work sucks and, like, everything's too hard and, like, I don't have enough time to get to the gym and I can't, like, exercise and, like... It's always raining. I don't have any money <laughs> and, like, all this kind of stuff, then, like, like, I'm living life as a victim. I'm living life in, like, a really low energetic space. Mm-hmm. And, like, people can get stuck in that space. People can get stuck, like, down low in that space and, like, that's where I find that, like... This can be a bit, like, some people might get upset about this, but, like, I feel like people can be pre-diagnosed with, like, clinical depression, Mm -hmm. like, based on, like, living in that low energetic space, where in reality, like, their life, like, on the outside is is glowing. Like, their life Mm -hmm. is great. Like, people, but they can't actually tell you what's good about it. Like, Mm -hmm. I find, like, even, like, young guys that I mentor, like, they can't tell you what's good about their lives. But, like, if we can start to kind of draw ourselves back into an energetic space, which... Can I just say as well that I find the best way to draw yourself back into a, like a positive energetic space is to be selfless. We draw esteem or like self-esteem from being selfless. So like when we go and help people or we do something kind, we draw our own energy. We build ourselves up through doing that stuff. So I find that's like the easiest way. Like we can obviously do stuff for ourselves and like build up, like go shopping or do something nice for ourselves. We can do that too. But like I find the easiest way is like give up your seat on a train or like, you know, you know, you're walking down the street and someone's got like a heaps of bags of groceries and they're walking the same way. 
help them carry their bags for a bit or something, mm-hmm. you know, like do something kind for a minute and find that your energy will lift because of that. Mm-hmm. But so what Lauren was getting to is that like I found that like when I first started like back dating, um, like I was, I just got out of a breakup and like energetically, like I was still kind of a bit unsure about for one, like what I wanted and sort of like where I was, where I stood in my life. Like I felt like, you know, like I'm, I was like 20, 27 years old living back from my parents, like this, that and the other. And, and like, I was pretty down on myself and, um, and one of my friend's partners like kind of sat me down and firstly gave me a bit of a kind of a bit of awareness on like where I'm actually at. And, um, and then goes like, you've got to get out there and you've got to like, kind of, you know, put out there what you want to receive back, you know, be honest, like put on your, put on your Tinder profile, exactly who you are, what you're into and what you're looking for, you know, and, um, and be willing to go out there and meet people with no expectation of it leading anywhere and just have some connection and some new experiences with someone new, you know, and that's what I did. I kind of got out there and went on some dates and met some really cool people and, um, and yeah, ended up with my partner now who's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Jake Brooke, people, Tinder coach and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're taking calls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next. I'm going to sit back and watch. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the uh, Lauren Howard Trip podcast and um, we're into the second hour. <laughs> um, yeah, really cool. I really like how you say that it's really about that energy that you're putting out there and as well um, just that expectation piece of going out to meet a really good person and focusing rather on the conversation and what you can learn about this person rather than it being about sex or about this person possibly becoming your partner. Because let's face it, that's a lot of pressure to put onto a first-time meeting with anybody. Mm. Yeah, Mm. totally. And it's like that same thing of like, we, we don't have to like that person after the first date. That person also doesn't have to like us after the first date either. Mm. Not to say that they don't think we're a nice person, but they don't have to like us. Not everyone is going to like us. And we have this kind of constant belief. And this is like, not just related to the dating thing, but in general, that everyone needs to like you. Mm. It's like, no, they don't. Like you just, <laughs> just, just be kind and like stay in your integrity. Like mm. you know, do things based on like the value set that you want to stand in, um, and you don't have to fold from that. Like you don't have to just give someone what they want because you think it's going to please them. Mm. <laughs> Life lessons, yeah. Yeah. life and love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, well, any anything? Any other knowledge bombs you want to drop on us while you're here, mate? Because uh, I, I don't know if I've if I've got any more questions. But, <laughs> yeah, I think that'll do, man. But that was really fun. Yeah, that was cool. cool. Awesome. Um, so where can we find you and your goodies? Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook. Like I don't do Instagram and stuff. I'm quite like you know unintellectual when it comes Low to key. social media. But um, you'll just find me as Jake Brook. Um, and I'm sure you'll probably find me through Dan Tucker anyway. Yeah. Um, and also um, Addiction Solutions Victoria on the website. If you guys, if anyone like needs any support, um, like know we are a service. So if it's an emergency, call Triple O. But otherwise, we'd love to hear from you. Cool. Thanks very much for coming and having a chat, mate. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, guys. <laughs>